0: Good morning. Welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Stacy Chapman. Stacy, how are you?
1: I am very well, thank you. It's very nice to be here, John.
0: Yeah. So so besides I, I need to say that you are the chief person in charge of everything important at a company called Swoop Talent. Um Will you introduce yourself and make up for the fact that I'm so bad at it?
1: Sure, no problem at all. Well, I am the boss at Swoop Talent. We are trying to do fascinating things with data and middleware, which sounds terribly unsexy, but we think is very, very useful. So that's what we do.
0: So, how is it that you are um doing this did you as 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 a young girl did you look up to the sky in the sandbox and go, "What I want to do is run a data and middleware company
1: I dreamed of data." <laughs> No, not really. Um, The whole thing, I think like most careers, mine is really very accidental. So I, I was actually in finance back in the day and in manufacturing. And when I was maybe 22 or 23, my employer asked me, could I do an HR and payroll system implementation? In hindsight, I think it's because I was the one who worked most of the hours in the week. And so they just thought, well, we'll get someone who works very hard, but that's where I started. And over the course of that, of the last last 28 odd years I have been doing lots of things you know I've worked in support at a vendor I've done implementations I've been in all kinds of things around HR tech and I'm most fascinated about things like analytics and decision support and and just making tasks that should be really much simpler than they are to be as simple as they should be but the way that I got time to think about that is interspersed is periods where I'm off doing other things really exciting things like once I was the meet and greet girl at a car showroom room in North, Belfast Northern Ireland so you get to contemplate things if you take career breaks and somehow that just ended up with me believing that data and connectivity is the most important thing we could be focused on.
0: Wow! So, do you learn how to? Um, what do you learn as a as a as, as a uh, meet and greet? How did you say that meet and, meet and greet, greet girl? girl. Can you car? believe
1: it? At a, car, a Citroen showroom, as it happens.
0: You you know, I wouldn't call you a meet-and-greet girl to your face unless I was at least 10 feet away from you and had a head start.
1: (laughs) Well, I learned to fake not being annoyed by it then, I guess, is what I learned at that job. (laughs) We won't even go into what I learned at the job I had at the mental hospital just outside of Edinburgh. That's what they called them then.
0: Were you working there or were you um, being hosted? (laughs)
1: I'll never tell. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, I was working there. (laughs) So, what do you
0: do now? What's what is a day in the life of Stacey Chapman now?
1: And I don't really have anything predictable. I can tell you that at the moment I average a little over seven meetings a day. So I spend a lot of time talking to people and listening to people and and trying to work things out. And then I try and get what I think of as my work done in between that. So the day tends to start very early, but I do, I am fortunate that I get it peppered with... Some of those conversations, maybe half, are really, really interesting, really interesting conversations with customers, with prospects, and and with all of my team, but especially the engineering team.
0: So what does FOOP Talent do?
1: We use algorithms. So we use technology to connect data and systems. So we're trying to automate the basic data and, and connection and integration processes that all companies have across their HR tech stack whether that's talent acquisition or it's learning or it's performance or it's HR we're just trying to get so we have all of those all of that the pieces in any company's tech stack and I think the choices that you make about those pieces is a lot about competitive advantage we're trying to make those be able to play really well with each other and take away the pain part but we're using a whole bunch of different machine learning NLP custom algorithms that we've built word to vect lots of good high-end technologies that are just behind the scenes chugging away trying to solve some pretty foundational problems
0: So give me an example. I got this sort of word stew out of your answer. Uh, what's, What's a problem that you solve and what does a solution look like?
1: One problem that we solve is how do you get to use some sexy young technology when what your basic technology stack is, is big old workhorses that are quite hard to play with. We can connect those things.
0: So you could make my um, um, suit coat that is too short by old person standards fit into my um, wardrobe of pants that go with long suit coats?
1: Yes, that would be be a not bad analogy for what we can do. And we're getting better and better at it, but that's what we really want to happen. We really want your existing wardrobe of, of pants to not become redundant because you really need to do something about a particular jacket.
0: Got it. So, so this really means that you do some sort of magic trick with, with the data from the old and the data from the new and somehow put them together and make a data smoothie out of them. Is that the the deal?
1: Yeah, that's basically it and we do it in a quite data greedy way in that we we like to keep all the data together so rather than passing uh data amongst systems in a sort of star pattern you end up having much more of a hub and spoke type model so that your data is always going through a central data place, which is a data lake. And and that's where we, what we do. So we we didn't even, it sort of didn't even occur to us that we were middleware until we realized that it's effectively middleware that's managing this data lake. And that gives you a lot to do. So.
0: Data lake. Um, give me give me some bullet points about what a data lake is. That 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 sounds like I'm going to drown, which is how I already feel about my data.
1: Yeah, look, and I think it probably that's probably not a bad statement either. That you can potentially be drowning in it. That a data lake is intended to be able to connect data from all kinds of sources and in all kinds of structures. So you would be able to put unstructured data and structured data. You would be able to have big differences in what data is available in records. It's quite a lot more flexible than what we would think of as a data warehouse, although honestly, it is a form of data warehouse. It's just it's a bit more relaxed and flexible about how what you can put in it and how you can get things out of it. We actually put the data in our data lake into a warehouse as well for analytical type purposes, because warehouses are better for analytics than lakes are.
0: So, is there? I, I don't. I don't know this, and I, I'm actually not being facetious here. Is there a way of talking about data that has it as a solid and a liquid and a gas? So you've got a, a solid in the warehouse, a liquid in the gate, and yeah, uh, in the lake. And I don't know where you'd have data as a gas.
1: I have not heard that before, but I rather like it. I'm writing it down. It's not a bad, and and in some ways, uh, you could almost say the data that's the gas is the data that's happening outside of the enterprise. The internet is probably data as a gas.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So when you talk about this, you're really talking about people storing data about themselves um, in this a single space that is then understandable with an array of technologies. Is that, is that a good? One? So it's like yes. the, the lake means when you look at it, you don't necessarily see structure, but there are tools that allow you to go diving in it so that you can find the fish. Or something.
1: Yes, there are. And, and it is also able to be presented to you as a giant vat of water that you may want to run all kinds of testing over. Because the other method that data lake type data is used for is things like machine learning, where you have so much of it and you don't constrain the structure as much. That's where you're starting to get what they call a data network effect. More and richer data helps you to get, I don't know, in theory, grow bigger fish to fish for.
0: That, that's really interesting. So do you know anybody else? This is, this is always a, a challenging question to ask a CEO, but do you know anybody else who is working with the Data Lake idea in HR tech?
1: Look, I don't. There are various people who are doing it, maybe not with quite the same application as us. I mean, what we're trying to do is probably – you know, we're trying to do an elephant because what we we believe that that data is an infrastructure play rather than a fit to purpose. So what we're what I'm mostly seeing in the HR tech space is you'll see people who have what is effectively a data lake, but it's for enriching your data, or it's for sourcing, or it's for extracting data cleanly for analytics. It's for a whole bunch of individual use cases. What we're trying to do is is make the infrastructure be such that you we should be able to handle any use case with data you come up with so our philosophical approach to it is a bit different even though under the covers the tech might be fairly similar we just are say we just really deeply believe that both data and connectivity are piece of your infrastructure. They are not a product with features. They are an infrastructure play with use cases. And that's how we think about what we're doing. It makes it harder to explain, but it lets us be able to support some really fascinating things that customers will come to us and say, hey, will your tech let us do X? And you, then, you know, we've got to quickly scramble and pretend that, of course, we've thought of that before. But the answer usually is, well, actually, yes, that would work. So one example of that is we had a customer come to us to say that they wanted to enrich the skills data in their workforce management system with an opt-in consent uh, from data from the ATS and all other places, where, uh, the Internet, all kinds of places where it is. And, of course, our APIs let them do that because our APIs adapt to themselves to the data of the customer. So any customer can use any of their data from our tech in any way that they want to. So, yes, that does work. Another customer comes to us and says, you know, we've just done an acquisition. Is it possible for us to just merge these two ATSs in your tech? And we're like, well, yeah, that's really easy. We just throw the lever. It goes the other way. So when, as customers come up with things or have particular challenges that are data oriented, we're finding that the approach we've taken with the the platform is to be able to always say yeah you can do that that's not a problem that that is a use case that fits if if what we fundamentally do is manage push and pull data
0: so so let me just double back cuz that was that was pretty interesting what you're saying is that that there are two aspects to this data lake of yours one aspect is a sort of a storage aspect and in, in your data lake everything goes into the lake You don't do anything to it until it's in the lake. Um, And then for other people who use a similar kind of idea because their approach is fit to purpose, they don't throw all of the data in. They only throw the data in that they care about. And, And by doing that, they limit the utility of their data lake in the, in the sort of next project? Are they, are they, instead of treating data as if it were the foundations of the infrastructure, they force you to duplicate the data if it's missing pieces? Right. Is that right?
1: Yes, which for me is really just automating the same problems we always had. I mean, if you think about all of the projects that Any of the companies you talk to are doing maybe six, maybe 50 different HR tech type projects that they'll be doing this year. Every single one of those projects is going to have at least one line item for integration and at least one line item for data. And I feel like a lot of the approaches that we're taking are going after those line items. And we're not. We're saying, look, really, all those line items should just work. If you have the right data management technology happening, those line items should all be just something you take for granted, All the data is there. I can use it however I need to use it. I can put it wherever it needs to be. And that gives you a different approach to how you design the software, but also it gives you a very different sort of relationship with customers, and it's quite a challenging one.
0: So this is visionary enough, so you shouldn't have any customers at all. (laughs) I do. (laughs) So let's talk about that.
1: I have a good customer story for you. One of my customers said to me well, maybe a week and a half ago, she goes, you know, Stacey, another company was talking about you to me. I forget that you have other customers. And I was like, oh, Heather, in my heart, you're my only customer, but thankfully not in my bank balance.
0: <laughs> Got it. So how big is the base? How, how, you're, you're, you're at the start of something really big and really different. How, how, how big is your fan club?
1: So we have what we call fourteen, the 14 core customers, which is not very many, but a lot, good chunk of our business actually comes from indirect business because we can support things that happen inside companies. We, we partner with a lot of, we're white-labeled into a lot of products. So we have quite a few really good partners who we work with in different ways, accessing our data set and, and our APIs and the things that we can do. And then we have a bunch of smaller customers that that we've sort of been moving away from over the past couple of years. And then we have what we think of as, as sort of the 14 really exciting cases and they're the ones that we're really focused on growing oh
0: that's 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 amazing that's amazing so so let's move to ai sure um have you ever seen any ai
1: look it depends on how you want to define what ai is to be honest and I think this is a real um, this is a real area of difficulty for me. I tend to take the philosophy of you know, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So who cares what we call it? But I think that in fact we are going to come into what really is AI. Is it really artificial intelligence? I think we're getting labels on a lot of things which are stretching to call themselves AI. And then when you you get into the really deeply, when you start reading about and researching this, then there are schools of thought which would would separate machine learning from AI. So I right. can't really tell, I know that we're doing real machine learning. I know that we're doing real natural language processing. I know we're doing things which which legitimately fall under the umbrella, but I think you could have a really big ideological argument about what it even is that is way above my pay grade.
0: Well, and I, th- I think the, the place where that matters is not what a bunch of experts think. But what matters is the degree to which the product and its outputs are frightening to its users. Um, and so, so, part of what's happening is, is the idea of AI is so permeated the culture, and it is such a, um, you know, remember, remember the early days of SimCity, I'm sure you played SimCity.
1: I didn't. I did watch my nephew play (laughs) SimCity. I did not.
0: You didn't play SimCity. You're not a. You're. You are not a real software developer. I'm sorry.
1: I am I, um, I, that's probably true. I will I will take that accusation. I, I will take it. Well, well, anyhow,
0: SimCity gave you the impression that that you were um, actually doing something, but it was it was an easily defeatable set of simple algorithms and and, and you could build a city with it. But when my kids learned SimCity, um, they started to develop this expectations that things would be simulated and that the simulation would have something to do with the world. And that, that difference of, of expecting the world to resemble what's sold on the screen, that, that's what I'm concerned about with AI. I'm afraid that people are not going to understand that what we're getting is much more interesting information, but it takes much better human processing capacity than that. This isn't some um, take your job away move that we're seeing. This is a make decisions in a whole different realm kind
1: of thing yeah i i think you're right but i think also people don't um i worry that as an industry we are very big on wanting a magic button to press and i think that for and, and i'm going to stick with talking about machine learning primarily but i think that even when we talk about like we run running stuff on an unsupervised artificial neural network so you know it's it's interesting tech it's just really interesting things but the design decisions that you make that come from a functional understanding I think are really what are going to make the difference and you know two earlier discussions that you and I have had I think there are things about culture in that and I think that if we look for black boxes and we don't make sure that what we do has levers to pull then we we will never get what on, this, on the screen to be what is in our real life because we haven't taken conscious charge of what we want these models and approaches to do. And, and I think that we do have, functionally speaking, huge levers that we can pull that are around design. Like a lot of the, I mean, one of the arguments I get into all the time is people tell me that they do not want to include data on gender, race, age, you know, the classic bias type problem areas and they don't want to have the direct data and I have to say to them well here's the thing unless you bring that direct data into the model how are you going to know what other data points are already correlating with it based on your historical bias like if it isn't in there how are you going to be able to let models be able to say well you know say you decide to use performance performance may actually correlate really have a really strong inverse correlation with tenure because people, you know, when you're new and you're high, you, you may get higher performance ratings. What about salary? Salary might have a really strong correlation with maleness, for example. Now, if you don't put the key indicators of the, the, the obvious bias indicators, then you're also going to miss the correlation pieces. And those are functional design decisions that are entirely separate from whatever tech you might be using. And that's where I think we have to be really careful about if we're going to be using machine learning, it will be learning from our data. And if we do not have a really solid, thoughtful approach to what we think about our data and what we expect and hypothesize will be in the data, how do we get the model to understand, you know, to do the sorts of things that we're really trying to do as a company? How do we get it so that, that the model becomes our servant and not the other way around? You know, now we're going to start quoting Van Gogh.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a a great place to take a little break to let people know what's going on here. Hang on one second. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Looking for a new way to attract and engage top talent? Add student loan repayment to your benefits lineup. Benefit Ed makes it easy to offer this in-demand benefit any time of year simple administration for you simple sign up for employees with programs to help pay down student loans or save for college benefit ed help meets the education goals of employees at any life stage compete for the best and build your dream team Learn more at youbenefited.com slash hrx. That's y o u benefit e d dot com slash hrx. And thanks, Benefit Ed. We really appreciate the sponsorship. Back to you, Stacy. So, so what should I be worried about?
1: You should be worried about how. Um... Personalized to you as an organization, not as an individual. The AI and tech that you're looking at is. Uh, you should also be worried about the ability for humans to influence the model, because what what happens? And, and I, we're working at the moment on what I consider to be vector based contextualization of data. Now, which again, there I go with my word soup. But what we're working on is how do you identify what a particular job means to a customer, to a a company, because they're not the same across the place. So there's there's some baked in challenges into that. Now, one of the things that that lets us do is be able to sort of shortlist or match internal and external people to those jobs. But that, for me, is just a use case of the contextualization of the data. I suspect there will be a lot more and there will be bad analytics and competitive advantage and and good, juicy things like that. But one of the things that it can do is bring you up a long list. But all that long list is going to do, because it's machine learning, is going to be saying, well, you know, based on who's previously been successful in these roles or who you've wanted to be in these roles, then this is what that looks like for you and here are how other candidates go. Now, that's perfectly reasonable and it's very personalized because it is looking at your hiring decisions. It's looking at your data. It's looking at all sorts of things. And you'll have been very, very precise about what you tell that model is a positive signal, a neutral signal, or a negative signal in what you want to do. And and functionally, we go through that with customers to get this contextualization happening. But it doesn't help you if you know, the job has changed if there's a very different requirement or if the strategy is skewing in a different way. Like the past is not always predictive of the future. Granted, it's always instructive, but it's not always predictive. So you need to be able to ma- adapt the model and put human input into whatever you're doing for a model. And this is where I really get into if you. If a lot of these AIs, but matching is a really good example of where people are using a lot of machine learning and a lot of AI. If they're not right down deep in your data, then they will be presuming that a, I don't know, a Java engineer for you is the same as a Java engineer for that company over there. And quite likely they're not. So I think there's a, that's the personalisation piece, but equally it could have changed. It could be wrong. You could have insufficient good data. What fundamentally happens with your data, and this was pointed out to me by Ewing at IBM, is the decisions and the skill and the competence of your recruiters also get baked into your model by decisions that they've made and data that they've kept. So it needs to be very personalised and there need to be methods for humans to intervene in the model like right there on the fly. Does that make sense?
0: That's really interesting. So that opens the door to talking about the Amazon project that had the plug pulled on it. What do you think about that?
1: I it's really interesting to me that from what I've read about that project they used a lot of words that were not associated with skills and technical words because they felt their fundamental hypothesis was that it is other things that your skills that predict your ability to be successful now that's fair okay that's a reasonable hypothesis to go through but when they stripped down the words that I would tend to go for, the things that are about experiences and employers and professionally oriented things, then the words that they were left with tended to be language where bias is really powerfully found. You know, the, the, there's been quite a few studies that will show, for example, that the way a woman will write may be different than the way a man will write. And so by using all those sidebar things, also first language, English, first, first second, third, or fifth language English. Well, You will get different things if you go beyond the tech words. So I think, okay, seems like a valid hypothesis, but for people who have been looking hard at data and bias and all those things, it was just an instant facepalm. Like, of course that's where bias is most easily displayed in the way, you know, where I was educated is probably baked into how I constructed a sentence saying what I achieved on my resume. The approach that we take is, is quite the opposite to that because our hypothesis is that the skills and experiences are the only things which won't have that heavy bias baked in. So valid hypotheses on both sides but if you don't, if you aren't planning to be thinking about where are the really bad pitfalls potentially in my data, then and then the data that's got most of the pitfalls becomes the data that you drive the algorithms with, you're going to get yourself in, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble.
0: Uh, that's interesting. So, so we have had a spectacular conversation as usual, and there isn't nearly enough time. We have to do some more of this. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. If you if you were to encapsulate the things that you wish somebody would take away from this conversation, what would they be?
1: I think they would be mostly that As a practice, and I mean not necessarily the HR tech practice, but the HR and recruiting practices, we really need to think very seriously about functionally how do we bake our strategies into what our vendors provide us with the magical AI. I just think don't fall for the silver bullets. Really ask hard questions about how these major challenges are being addressed and how the company, the customer has the ability to be able to drive their own destiny with the algorithms.
0: So please take a moment and reintroduce yourself, tell people what you do and how they can get a hold of you.
1: I am Stacy from Swoop Talent, um, S-T-A-C-Y at swooptalent.com. What we do is make seamless your ability to manage and use and leverage your data, whether that is with systems or it's with algorithms or it's with analytics. And what we're doing is making that be as easy as you can. So come and visit us at swooptalent.com.
0: Thanks, Stacey. It's been a treat. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and we'll do it again shortly. I look
1: forward to it. Thanks
0: everybody for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Executive Conversations. I'm your host John Subzer. We've been talking with Stacy Chapman of Swoop Talent, and thank you BenefitEd.com for taking care of us with sponsorship. Bye bye now.